I've got answers for my questions, big answers to life's most important and bewildering questions, and these answers provide the information needed to navigate my own particular journey. I have the answers that fully satisfy the cravings of the mind and soul. The answers are found in a very ancient and peculiar book that has aided multitudes of travelers to direct them successfully through joy and sorrows over the eons of time. This book is like no other. Every book ever penned must bow before this book. As you read this supremely rare and ancient tome with an ear reverently bowed down to the ground, it comes alive right before your spiritual eyes. Job 34, verse 3, For the ear trieth words, as the mouth tasteth meat. The physical man eats bread, but the spiritual man eats words. This ancient book is the food of the eternal soul of the righteous. The words of this book change the vilest of us in a moment of time. This peculiar book carries us through our hardest trials and elevates us to our highest joys and achievements. This book has been authored by the Creator of all, and it is the majority text Holy Bible, and this book is found in a living person. Revelation 19.13 speaks of Jesus Christ and says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. When the ear is reverently bowed down to the book, everything changes, absolutely everything. Have you bowed your ear? Have you been born again, born a very real second time, this time of the Spirit of God? Today, if you follow me in a simple prompt, everything will change for you. Many of life's physical appearances and circumstances may appear to be the same, but be assured that they have changed. Today, all of your sins and its shame will be expunged from your record by the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken, no matter how formidable. Today, you will be born a second time. Here comes the prompt. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, John chapter eleven twenty five and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? God said, John chapter 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Man said, The evolutionists tell me that when you're dead, you're dead. Ain't that true? I hope it's true, because if it's not, I've got hell to pay. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said feature 1050 that will once again establish the supernatural supremacy and inerrancy of God's beautiful book. All of these enlightening features are archived on this website in text and streaming audio. 
for your edification and even as the Holy Ghost wind that will clear the smoke of confusion. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. Psalms 118.24, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Much evidence is coming forth on a daily basis. But the only real authority on life after death, heaven and hell, is the Word of God, the God who created it all, all of it. There is an ongoing series on God Said, Man Said, titled Undeniable Proof, Every Jot and Every Tittle, that so far has cataloged 350 amazing proclamations from the Scriptures, statements made thousands of years before today's science has begun to understand. Satan's champions have assailed every line, but have failed without fail. A few great examples from the 350 follow. 1. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the likeness of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Between your ears is the most underdeveloped resource in the universe. Man has been created in the image and likeness of God. Imagine God-like brain capabilities between your own ears. Neurologists have discovered that a single human brain has more information processing units than all the computers, routers, and Internet connections on Earth. Pseudoscience's claim of slime to man just doesn't compute. And if you ever wondered why you can eat a hamburger but not a man-burger, the answer is in Genesis 9-6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Number two, concerning dirt and you. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Biologists have discovered that the chemical makeup of the human body mirrors that of the earth. Every schoolboy knows that when you die, the body recycles back to the earth. Man eats a hole in the earth and fills it when he dies. Number three, Genesis 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Paleontologists have discovered the snake once had legs. Tiny vestigials remain of what were once legs and are found in the bodies of many snakes. Number four, Genesis 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Carl Whelan writes in Creation Magazine, Snakes do deliberately and purposely eat and lick dust. There is an organ in the roof of a snake's mouth called the Jacobson organ. This helps the snake to smell in addition to its nose. 
Its darting, forked tongue samples bits of dust by picking them up on the points of the fork, which it then presents to its matching pair of sensory organs inside its mouth. Once it has smelt them in this way, the tongue must be clean so the process can be repeated immediately. Therefore, serpents really do lick dust and eat it. End of quote. Number five, Proverbs 3, three. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. The article, See the Little Brain in the Heart, was published in the August 1, 2020 issue of Science News. Excerpts follow. The heart has its own brain. A group of nerve cells known as the intracardiac nervous system. That's what it's called. Now, scientists have drawn a detailed 3D map of this nervous system in a rat heart. The heart's big boss is still the brain, but nerve cells in the heart have a say, too. These neurons are thought to play a crucial role in heart health, helping to fine-tune heart rhythms and perhaps protecting people against certain kinds of heart disease. But this local control system hadn't been described in great detail until now. Systems biologist James Schwaber of Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia and colleagues used knife-edge scanning microscopy and genetic analysis to map the nerve cells in 3D. In a reconstructed rat heart, nerve cells that make up a heart's brain cluster around the top of the heart near where blood vessels enter and exit, end of quote. The brain of the heart pictured in the article sits directly on top of the heart or upon its table. You have read of the heart and the heart's brain upon its table, wisdom and insights that only the maker could know. The world's academics scorned, but not anymore. Number six, Psalms 11, 111, excuse me, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. Salvation is the greatest miracle a man can know, and its benefits are staggering. From our initial deliverance from our own carnal selves, to the redeeming of our life's energies unto eternal purpose, even to the harnessing of the power of the genius of God and swallowing the grave itself. The marvels of redemption are beyond exaggeration. When you put your faith in God and His Christ— you unleash the supernatural powers of genius, and science continues to confirm. The following short excerpt is from the God Said, Man Said feature, Scientists Shocked to Find God in Implicit Pattern Learning. The summary regarding the Science Daily article titled Unconscious Learning Underlies Belief in God Studies Suggest was published September 9, 2020, and it reads, Individuals who can unconsciously predict complex patterns, an ability called implicit pattern learning, are likely to hold stronger beliefs that there is a God who creates patterns of events in the universe, according to neuroscientists, end of quote. The believer didn't know that their obedience to God's commandment to believe in Him would result in implicit pattern learning, but the God of faith did. The benefits of faith in God and His Word are immediate and eternal. Psalms 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Number 7, Psalms 96, verse 1, and Isaiah 55, verse 12. 
O sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth, for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. All of creation sings literally. Consider these paragraphs from the September 2016 issue of Acts and Facts. Hearing is beautifully represented in the animal world. Experts say fin whales can hear the bleeps of other fin whales from more than 500 miles away. Some scientists even claim their hearing range is thousands of miles. Humpback whales are famous for singing songs that can last up to 30 minutes. They sing in rhyme, and the songs can be heard by other male whales. It's passed along the water so that an entire ocean may have all the humpback whales singing the exact same song at the exact same time, a kind of great whale choir, end of quote. The headline of the September 2018 feature in Discover magazine reads, Hearing Nemo, and the subhead reads, How Scientists Discovered a Symphony Under the Sea. A few excerpts to follow. Biologists have, for the most part, continued to focus on the sounds individual fish make and hear. Gradually, though, a new approach is emerging. Is emerging excuse me. More people are beginning to listen to the entire aquatic symphony. These habitat soundscapes are subtly composed. Recent studies are revealing that far from this being an impromptu free-for-all, fish don't simply yell and shout, however, and whenever they want. They fit their voices together like an orchestra of instruments and a melodic musical score. End of quote. Yes, all creation sings, just like God said. There are 343 more in the undeniable proof every jot and every tittle series that shout God, the Bible, absolutely yes, yes beyond any reasonable doubt and even the unreasonable kind. Last week we proved from the scriptures that there is certainly life after death. While the scriptures are the ultimate authority on the subject, we also provided a plethora of third-party certification all the way to quantum physics. There certainly is life after death, and you and I are able to choose our eternal destiny all just like the Bible says. The Bible, the authority, declares that there are three heavens. The first heaven is earth space where we live, Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. The second heaven is outer space where we find the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, Genesis 1, 14 and 18, and chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul travels to paradise, the third heaven, in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. I knew a man in Christ uh, above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. A little over 14 months ago, my beautiful wife of nearly 50 years passed over to be with the Lord. During the final hours of her pilgrimage, the doctors asked my family and I to sit with them as they explained her situation. The doctors explained that nothing more could be done 
and that any further efforts would be futile. I spoke for the family and told the doctors that, as we are believers, we would continue to believe for a miracle because that's what believers do. The lead surgeon spoke up and said he believed in miracles too. We were told that after the artificial life support machines were removed, my wife would have hours and at most days. I told the doctors when they removed their equipment, I would read God's advertisements about heaven to my wife. I read the following marvelous verses. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 6. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. About thirty seconds or so after I read the last verse, my wife Connie gave up the ghost. She passed away at exactly 5 p.m., which is the time that the God Said Man Said Global webcast goes live every Thursday eve. Connie was the editor of GodSaidManSaid.com. God's Word clearly declares a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. In my mind, in the individual's personal experience, the deathbed is the ultimate proof of heaven. As a minister of the gospel for nearly 50 years, I've had the privilege of attending such momentous events. It is so marvelous to see childlike faith in the blessed hope swallow the fear of death in one single gulp. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one through 57 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Another marvelous promise is 
2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It was the famed American, Patrick Henry, who said, Oh, how wretched should I be at this moment if I had not made my peace with God. On his deathbed, he affirmed his Christian faith to his doctor, which with even greater conviction, poignantly recognizing that Christianity had been under constant attack, but always emerged victorious. Doctor, said Henry, I wish you to observe how real and beneficial the religion of Christ is to a man about to die. I am, however, much consoled by reflecting that the religion of Christ has from its first appearance in the world been attacked in vain by all the wits, philosophers, and wise ones, aided by every power of man, and its triumphs have been complete. End of quote. Untold millions of servants of Jesus Christ have seen death, Satan's most formidable champion, defeated by little baby faith. Was the peace, joy, and wondrous expectation it afforded just empty Sunday school tripe? The critics rail, bite, and blaspheme our Lord's holy word. But not when their routine doctor's visit returns with the report, you've got two weeks to live, set your house in order. All the foolishness and caustic rhetoric ends right there. Several years ago, I received an urgent phone call. One of the parishioners of our congregation was taken to the hospital, and the diagnosis was that she was on her deathbed. Sister Nell was a very fine saint, a true believer of Jesus Christ the righteous. She battled valiantly against several conditions, but the end loomed near. When I entered the hospital room, Sister Nell was sitting up cross-legged on the bed without any back support, and she was busy writing memos. I knew Sister Nell for about 40 years, seeing her weekly, often several times a week in regular church services, and I can tell you when I saw her this time, I was taken aback. Never before had I seen her so vibrant and alive. I was truly shocked. I said to her, Sister Nell, you look fantastic. I was told you were on your deathbed, but I've never seen you so alive. Nell smiled and answered me, I'm going home, Brother Dave. After a slight pause, she added, Don't you pray for me. This was not a light matter. She couldn't wait to get home. Sister Nell told me that her sister was flying in from out of state, and after she said her goodbyes, would be going home. While I was there, the nurse came in with medications. Nell dismissed the medications, telling the nurse there was no need because she was going home. Her sister arrived a couple of hours later, and true to her words, shortly thereafter, Nell entered into God's heaven, his paradise. <laughs> what a day! Hallelujah, what a day! Now rejoice with expectation, and she was not denied. Do credible and medical science-based sources certify the Bible's account of heaven? Numerous features on God Said, Man Said deal with NDEs, the acronym for near-death experiences. Here, a person is at death's door or has already been certified dead, sometimes for hours and even days, and then is resuscitated or by some other means returns to life. We have pulled a very short sampling of John Burke's 348-page uh, book, Imagine Heaven, for your consideration. 
With the advent of modern medicine and superior resuscitation techniques, the prevalence of people being brought back from clinical death has soared. In 1982, a Gallup poll reported that 8 million people have had near-death episodes, according to the New York Times. In the last 40 years since Moody coined the term, studies in the United States and Germany suggest approximately 4.2% of the population has reported an NDE. That's one out of every 25 people, or nearly 13 million Americans alone. Numerous reported cases in which someone is apparently unconscious in a hospital bed and reported seeing things they could not have seen from that bed prompted many doctors and professors to take these stories seriously. Kimberly Clark Sharp, a noted NDE researcher in Seattle, Washington, reported a case study in which a woman named Maria was rushed to the hospital with a severe heart attack. After a successful resuscitation, Maria told Sharp about her near-death experience, including detailed out-of-body observations of her resuscitation. Then she went one step beyond. She claimed to travel outside the hospital, she said, where she observed the tennis shoe on the third-story window ledge of the hospital. Maria provided detailed information about the shoe. It was a man's shoe, she said, left-footed and dark blue, with a wear mark over the little toe and a shoelace tucked under the heel. Sharp went window to window on the hospital's third floor, looking on the ledges. Finally, she found the shoe, exactly as Maria had described it. Dr. Long points out, This account stands as remarkably evidential in spite of the efforts of some skeptics to cast doubts. J.M. Holden, a professor of psychology, studied 93 NDE patients who claimed to make verifiable observations uh, while out of their physical bodies. Of these out-of-body perceptions, 92% were completely accurate, 6% contained some error, and only 1% was completely erroneous. But not every NDE is positive. Dr. Maurice Rawlings did not believe in God or the afterlife when he had a harrowing experience one evening in 1977. While doing a stress test, a 40-year-old man had a cardiac arrest and dropped dead in his office. Three nurses rushed in and began CPR, while Dr. Rawlings started external heart massage, but the heart would not maintain its own beat, Dr. Rawlings recalls. I had to insert a pacemaker wire into the large vein. The patient began coming too. But whenever I would reach for instruments or otherwise interrupt my compression of his chest, the patient would again lose consciousness, stop breathing, and die once more. Each time he regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I'm in hell! He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact, this episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, Don't you understand? I'm in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. I dismissed his complaint and told him to keep his hell to himself until I'd finished getting this pacemaker into place, but the man was serious. How do I stay out of hell? Pray for me, he begged. Pray for him. What nerve? I told him I was a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me, he repeated. End of quote. I must mention that the multitudes of millions who have experienced NDEs worldwide are not all good, are not all holy, and many have been festooned with devilish trickery, yet many will be true. 
The Holy Scriptures caution us in 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 14. It says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no moral, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Another warning is found in Galatians 1, 6 through 8. I marvel that ye are so soon, excuse me, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Medical critics have their strained explanations to talk away the amazing girth of the afterlife numbers. But as always, when they challenge God's word, they are always wrong. Dick Teresi is the co-author of The God Particle and the author of Lost Discoveries, The Ancient Roots of Modern Science, both selected as New York Times book review notable books. He has been the editor-in-chief of Science Digest, Longevity, VQ, and Omni, and has written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Atlantic, among other publications. In his book, The Undead, Teresi writes, Skeptics are apt to airily dismiss NDEs as a result of a lack of oxygen to the brain or the many drugs that dying patients may be given. But the scientific evidence does not bear this out. Anoxia is a particularly unlikely explanation, as we'll see. Here's a list of the major mechanisms that have been proposed to explain NDEs, end of quote. Teresi goes on to list the lack of oxygen, temporal lobe seizures, ketamine, a drug known to produce out-of-body experiences, depersonalization, replacing the fear of death with pleasant fantasies, birth memory, simply a memory of one's birth related one's death, and REM instructions, or dreaming while awake. After addressing each of these challenges, Teresi writes, None of these reductionist explanations is compelling, though some are plausible. Grayson, a psychiatrist who has made a career of studying near-death experiences, told me, I don't have much use for people who just spew theories. All of the explanations posit that the NDE is some sort of hallucination, but hallucinations tend to be illogical, bizarre, fleeting, and distorted, and NDEs are usually orderly, lucid, logical, and comprehensible. NDEs lead to profound personality transformations that last for decades. Furthermore, according to NDE researcher Melvin Morris, who studies NDEs in children, nothing explains the light. End of quote. Not all NDEs, as exampled earlier, are positive. Numbers of negative experiences range up to 27.5%. And Kenneth Ring, psychiatrist at the University of Connecticut, reports in his research that only 10% see the proverbial light. The following paragraphs are from Marisa St. Clair's book, Near-Death Experiences. The headline says, Seeing is Believing. Skeptics have suggested that the NDE might be more credible and less open to accusations of subjectivity. If blind people describe their heavenly experiences during an NDE in visual terms, perhaps the critics believe they were on safe ground, for they made this suggestion when research into the subject was in its infancy and no such evidence was forthcoming. However, more recent cases have provided precisely that kind of evidence. 
As Dr. Kubler-Ross, the Swiss psychiatrist who famously theorized the five stages of grief and pioneer in the study of NDEs, writes, In order to calm down the skeptics, we did a scientific project with blind people. Our condition was that we would involve only blind people who had not had any sight perception for at least the last 10 years. Those who had an OBE, out-of-body experience, and came back can tell you in detail what colors and jewelry you were wearing if you were present. Furthermore, they can tell you the color and pattern of your sweater or of your tie and so on. You understand that these statements refer to facts which one cannot invent. One woman who was blind from birth and who naturally perceived the world with her other four senses was hit by a car and collapsed uh, profoundly unconscious. She later sent her story to this author. Although anonymous and therefore scientifically invalid, it carries the ring of truth, she says. It was a hot afternoon in August 1994. I was crossing the road, pat-patting with my stick, when a car took the corner too quickly and knocked me down. I felt a massive blow to my arm and side. Then I heard a blaring sound, hard to describe, sorry, and I was high in the air. It was very strange for several reasons. I was directly above my body, which was lying on the road. Now, that's odd enough, surely. But what was a million times odder was the fact that I could see it at all. Me, who had never had the slightest bit of vision in my 40-odd years on this earth, I swooped around just looking. It was grand to see. I noticed how high the buildings were because I thought of them as being rooted to the ground at the point where I could trace them with my stick, but they seemed to go up and up. I had my first understanding of a roof and the experience of, excuse me, and of the expanse of the sky. I saw the back of people's heads when normally I only get to feel a hand or a face if I'm lucky. I saw cars, bikes, children, and could put images to the familiar sounds of everyday life. But most of all, I could see colors. I don't think any blind person has any concept of colors. How can they? It's what marks out the land of sighted from the land of the blind. I saw, rather than talked about, the red of my jumper and the green of the grass in the nearby park and the swirl of colors on the covers of magazines in the newsstands. Then I saw them struggling to lift my head up. I felt as if someone was yanking on my soul and I was back in my body and blind again. It was awful, terrible. I cried for ages and couldn't explain. Then one person I told said it must have been my imagination. How cruel and how unrealistic. But then I realized that I'd been very lucky and blessed because I'd seen what was in store for me when I died, that is, when I leave my body permanently. I realized that being blind, like being in any kind of a body, sighted or blind, was just a temporary thing, and that one day we would all be perfect in every way. Since I had that thought, I've calmed down a lot and become happier. I feel almost as if I've been shown the face of God. How many people can say that? End of quote. Page after page. The world gives account of near-death experiences undergone by individuals who return to life after being pronounced dead, who give amazing descriptions of entering heaven and all of its unspeakable majesty, 
to flowers and grass and music and clothing that glistens, to ecstatic reunions with loved ones and to the all-engulfing love of the Father and the Son. It is simply marvelous and awe-inspiring. Jesus Christ, the Master and Savior of all that call upon His name, made this comforting promise to His followers in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This same Christ speaks these death-denying words in John eleven twenty-five and 26. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I have seen the saints pass on to glory, and they pass on in peace and majestic anticipation of the glorious promises of God, and their little baby faith is all they need to swallow Satan's champion death in one single hallelujah gulp. The unsaved, on the other hand, die badly, very badly. Remember, saints, they always end up here at the Word of God, but most can't come in. Only the childlike enter here, and we enter on our knees. If you want the peace of knowing where you will spend your eternity, visit further with Jesus while time still remains. God said, John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? God said, John chapter 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Man said, The evolutionists tell me that when you're dead, you're dead. Ain't that true? I hope it's true, because if it's not, I've got hell to pay. Now you have the record.